The story is told of a man who was sprawled out across the entire, uh, three entire seats in the back of a very nice movie theater. And uh, when the usher comes by and notices this, he goes and whispers to the man so as not to disturb the rest of the people there. He says, I'm sorry, sir, but you're only allowed one seat. The man just kind of groaned and he didn't budge and the usher became impatient. And he said, sir, if you don't get up and sit in one seat, I'm going to have to go get the manager. Again, the man just moaned at him, ignored him, and infuriated the usher, who in turn marched out briskly to get his manager, and the two of them came back together. The manager stood over the man and said, Sir, um, could you please just get up and move into one seat? And um, again, they ignored the manager, ignored the usher, and finally they said, Hey, if you don't get up and just sit in one seat, we're going to have to call the police. And the man just ignored him, and so they marched out together and called the police. So finally, upon arrival, the policeman goes over and he tries uh, to talk to the man and he says, um, Sir, um, all right, buddy, uh, what's your name? And he says, uh, my, my name's Sam. He says, well, Sam, where are you from? And with much pain in his voice, he turns and looks and says, I'm from up in the balcony. Uh, that's just for you folks in the balcony today and for those who sit below you. Um, the moral or the point of the story is very simple. Before jumping or falling to any conclusions, it's always important to look into the facts. And uh, as we continue our series of messages that are designed to address the question that we've been uh, discussing, what does the future hold, it has become apparent to me in conversation with many people that uh, too many of us have come to conclusions about the future based upon less than the facts as given to us in the Bible. Many of our conclusions are based on uh, our theories or our ideas or viewpoints are based on nothing more than human opinion, stuff that we read in the newspaper, best-selling fiction, and Hollywood entertainment. And uh, it brings us to our topic for today because obviously Hollywood has a take on the particular subject, and that is as we look toward the future and discuss the Battle of Armageddon, what exactly is it that we will be discussing? Well, not long ago, many of you, I'm sure, realized that Hollywood released a motion picture by the same name. It wasn't called The Battle of Armageddon. It was simply Armageddon, the movie. And it focused our attention on a meteor that was headed for a violent collision with the planet Earth. And the question that was raised in the course of this film was, what would such a collision do, such a violent collision do, to mankind and its future? And uh, if you saw the movie, you'll remember one particular scene that stood out in my mind, and I'm not sure whether it did in yours, but one of the characters in the movie basically said this. He said, uh, have you ever read the Bible? He says, uh, well, it would be all the worst parts of the Bible rolled into one. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting, because is the take that the world has that Armageddon is going to be the day where the earth comes to some type of climactic conclusion uh, based upon some meteor that will hurl from outer space and collide with the planet and thus end life as we know it? And it's interesting because there's a lot of different viewpoints on how this world is going to end. And uh, the bottom line of all of it is, is fortunately for us, God's word is not fantasy, it's not fiction, and it's not Hollywood entertainment or Hollywood production, it's the truth. And what God has to say concerning the future is true, and it's important that we recognize that it's dependable, it's reliable as a source of information, and it's deemed important enough by God to get it into our hands so that not only will we know what the future holds, but also so that we can respond accordingly today as we prepare for what lies ahead. 
And so as uh, our friend here this morning was saying, if you cut people and, the, and they bleed different things, if you cut me, uh, I'll tell you what, I, I guess I bleed a passion to discover new truths that God has to teach us in his word. And I just, I, I cut and bleed that I love the word of God and I love what God has to say and I love the truth of the word of God because it's proven to be reliable in the past and it will continue to be, be reliable in the future. God is trustworthy. He is, in him there is no darkness at all. He's not like man where he lies and changes his mind. What is recorded in the word of God is for all of human history. And the past has proven to be exactly as he said. And the future will come to fruition exactly as we find it and discover in the word of God. So when we ask the question, what exactly is this battle of Armageddon? We're turning to a very reliable source of information that has proven trustworthy throughout the centuries. And I'd ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 16. And it will address the question, not only in this passage, but in several others, but the question, what exactly is it that we refer to as the Battle of Armageddon? In Revelation chapter 16, we're going to look at three things that the Bible reveals about this particular campaign, the Battle of Armageddon. And starting with verse 12, we read these words. It says, And the sixth angel poured out his bowl upon the great river, the Euphrates, and its water was dried up, and the, and the way might be prepared for the kings from the east. It says, And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief, and blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his garments, lest he walk about naked and men see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Armageddon, as we look at this particular account, and we're going to see three things that the Bible teaches regarding the battle of Armageddon, or this scene that takes place, is that Armageddon flows out of a place where all the nations will gather together at some point in human history in our future. As we've learned throughout the series, there are many events that take place and lead up to Armageddon. We've examined the difference between Jesus Christ and his return in the air for, the, for his church, for those who have died in Christ, and those and we who are alive will be gathered or caught up together with him in the clouds in the air so that when we're with him, we shall always be with him. We, we saw the difference between Jesus' return in the air for the church, and we see also there's a contrasting difference, which we will talk about in great detail next week, and you don't want to miss it, as to Jesus second coming to this earth and what he's going to do in the future. There's a difference between the two. We've also discovered that the great day of the Lord or the great tribulation, the seven year period of wrath that will take place in the future uh, known in the Bible as the, uh, the time of Jacob's woes, the great tribulation uh, the, the day of distress uh, the 70th week of Daniel all of those things that we've talked about when we talked about what the great tribulation is all about. Uh, we recognize that that day will not come until certain things take place. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter Chapter 2, we learned that there are three things basically that will take place before the tribulation. One is the removal of the church or the removal of the restrainer of evil. 
in our culture today, as hard as it is sometimes to believe, God is actually at work and he is restraining evil in the person of his Holy Spirit. Not only the Holy Spirit's presence in the world today, but also the Spirit's presence within the lives of every one of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that those who are born again or have come to a right relationship with God by confessing their sin, acknowledging their need for forgiveness, inviting Christ into their life, the Bible says that we are given the Spirit of God as a down payment for the day that Jesus will come and call his Spirit to himself. And as a result, it's a down payment or a pledge or a promise that God makes to us that the presence of the Spirit of God within the life of the believer is God's promise saying that where I am, you will always be. And what a wonderful comfort that is. But the point is this, that as bad as it is in the world today, it's nothing like it's going to be when the presence of the restrainer, the Holy Spirit, and God's people and the church is removed from the earth. It's going to be literally all hell is going to break loose on the face of the earth because there will be no restraint of evil. That has to take place before the great day of tribulation because that will usher that period of time in. We know the man of lawlessness will be revealed. We talked about the Antichrist or the coming world leader or dictator and he will be revealed in that he will make a treaty with Israel and from that moment not only will he be exposed at that moment but three and a half years into the program, he will, uh, he will call back or void that treaty, and he will take a position in the temple in Jerusalem, and he will want to be worshipped as God, which we know is the abomination of the desolation, Matthew 24. All of these things take place, and all of the judgment or these bowls or wraths or seals that are opened in the book of Revelation are the judgment of God upon this world, and everything's building, as it were, to this great crescendo that will take place, which we are now going to look at, and that is Armageddon. Everything is moving in that direction to this one final climactic moment that will take place in a conflict between God and all of humanity that will take place immediately preceding the second coming of Jesus Christ as he takes his stand here upon this earth. Everything that we're studying is moving to that particular point. And as we look at this, there are uh, basically five things that I want you to notice as we go through Revelation 16 as it relates to the battle of Armageddon and as it relates to what we're referring to here in the battle of Armageddon, the campaign of Armageddon. And the uh, first thing is this. Notice the preparation that takes place for this impending battle. In verse 12, we read, and the sixth angel, talking about uh, seven bowls of wrath, and if there's a question about that, look at verse 1 of chapter 16. And I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the seven bowls of the wrath of God upon the earth. The wrath of God upon the earth. And here we are at the sixth bowl at this particular point. The angel pours out <clears throat> upon the great river, the Euphrates, and its rivers are dried up. The preparation for this battle is a miraculous event because what takes place is one of the greatest rivers in the world will be miraculously dried up. And if you know anything about topography or geography of that particular region, one of the things that will become very apparent if you go and look at an atlas, and look at this sometimes because it's fascinating as we study and dig into what God's Word teaches about the future, is that this great river Euphrates, as it runs into the land of Israel, as it's dried up, what it will do is it will form a natural crossing for the armies of the east to be able to march and march a ground army, so to speak, or ground troops. We hear a lot of conversation today because of what's going on in Europe about will there be a need of ground troops? Are we going to send in ground troops? And there's a lot of obstacles that take place when you try to send ground troops into a particular battle campaign. We learned that in Vietnam as a nation, where there is a different way to fight, uh, fight uh, wars that take place, jungle warfare so to speak, as opposed to where you can just march in with tanks and troops and trucks and reinforcements and everything that goes along with it. One of the things that we begin to find out when you move ground troops in is that there are many obstacles that will uh, hinder the effective campaign of ground troops. But what's interesting 
interesting here is that God says the great river Euphrates will be dried up and it'll prepare the world for this great confrontation that's going to take place. It'll be as if it's just a miraculous uh, event takes place and all the armies of the east will be able to march through this natural pass that now occurs. The preparation is very clear. That's exactly what God says is going to take place. And many nations of the world will respond to this. It says that uh, uh, since all the nations are gathered against Jerusalem during the battle of Armageddon, it's obvious that we'd expect that all the nations from the east will also invade the Middle East. The armies of the Orient will be drawn into this final conflict along with all the other nations of the world. Now when we talk about all the nations of the world, I think we've got a very good indication of the fact that not, not, it doesn't always mean that every nation of the world and all of its people will be gathered in one place at one moment in time. But what it does mean this, it is representative of the fact that all nations will be in agreement and they will all be represented in this final conflict that takes place. We see a little bit of that today as we look at what's going on with NATO. When you see what's taking place and the bombings that are going on overseas, what's happening is, is that there is a representative group, NATO in this particular case, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization and the number of nations that are, are uh, affiliated with it are all saying in unison or agreement, we agree and we support this and we are represented there in this conflict. Not everyone in the United States is there, not everyone in Canada is there, not everyone in Europe is there, but we are all there as representatives of those nations. So it's real important that we recognize and understand what God is saying. And what's fascinating to me is this. If you read the newspapers today, not all the nations of the world are in support of what's going on in Kosovo at this moment in time. In fact, there's a very clear delineation of those who are in agreement and those who aren't which is very fascinating if you stop and look at it, who is in disagreement? Russia's in disagreement, China's in disagreement. And I think that is very interesting in light of what the Bible teaches that at this final conflict, guess what? Even they will be on board with every other nation of the world. And I'll tell you what, there are very few times, if any, in human history when every nation on the, in the world is in agreement of a certain action. But you know what? The whole world will be in agreement prior to Armageddon. And I think that that is fascinating as we discover what it means about the heart of man and the human condition. So as we look at this, we notice that even the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 3, verse 9 through 11, and uh, I just got it up here because most of you would have a hard time finding that book. So we're going to go ahead and just move forward. And I don't want to get slowed down by, you know, hey, now get the tabs. How many of you went out and got tabs? I'm telling you, you've got to go get some tabs because you're never going to be able to keep up in this. And you're going to be looking around going, you know what, what's going on here? I can't keep up. Can't he slow down? And the answer is no, he can't slow down. <laughs> so go get tabs. That's what tabs were invented for. Somebody's sitting there one day going, I can't keep up. I need a way to do it. And they came up with tabs, like the guy that comes up with post-its and stuff, okay? I mean, <laughs> that's what we got to do around here. So no big deal. Don't take it personal. No one's going to look at you and say, huh, got to use tabs. <laughs> Joel chapter 3, verses 9 and 11 says, Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. 835 B.C., by the way. Rouse the warriors, let all the fighting men draw near and attack, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears, let the weakling say I am strong and come quickly, all you nations from every side and assemble there, assemble in the, in the valley surrounding Jerusalem, bring your warriors, O Lord. 
It's going to be an exciting event as we get to it and we understand what's going on. Not only do we see this in, um, in that particular uh, passage as we looked at what we've got in Revelation 16, I also want to focus your attention on some other things. Not only do we see the preparation for this final conflict or campaign, campaign that takes place, but there are also several other important insights that we get from this Revelation 16 chapter. And I want to kind of point them out as we go through it. Uh, notice also the presence of demonic forces. The presence of demonic forces, it says and, uh, in verse 13. Notice in verse 12, the, the purpose of what's going on is so that the way might be prepared for the kings of the east. Why is the river Euphrates dried up? Very simple, because it's to make preparation for the battle and the way would be repaired, uh, prepared and make it very easy for the nations of the east, the kings of the east, the oriental countries to be able to march into Jerusalem and take care of business as they see that they're going to do. But unfortunately, that's not exactly what God's plan is, and as we'll see that. It says, And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. Three unclean spirits like frogs, as if they were frogs. The question is this, are these literal frogs? Now, as we look through human history, we can think of an event that took place where God brought judgment upon uh, Pharaoh and the nation of Egypt, and they were literal frogs. They were frogs. There was frogs everywhere. There were frogs every place that, that the Pharaoh stepped. When he got up to the bathroom, he stepped on frogs. When he lifted the seat, frogs jumped out. There were frogs everywhere. And, uh, and the point was, they were literal frogs. And so as we're reading through the Bible, and this is very important for those of you who struggle with trying to understand the Bible, listen to me very carefully. When the Bible speaks literally, it is to be taken literally. When the Bible speaks symbolically, it is to be taken symbolically, but there is always an explanation for the symbol. You got it? This is not that tough. And what's happening in our world today is the world is trying to take everything that God means literally and somehow spiritualize it or make it symbolic and then they can come up with their own goofy definition of what God's trying to say. If it's literal, it's literal. Take it literal. We need to learn to speak to one another that way instead of walking away going, what did they really mean when they said what they said? Hey, you know what? Here's what I mean. And I can understand it. We live in a very confused society. What do you mean by is? What do you mean by the? What do you mean by sexual relations? What do you mean by uh? You know, we all thought we knew what all that stuff meant. And we're learning. We don't really know anything now, do we? You know what? That's nonsense. And, and, and people understand. And words mean something. And we need to learn how to communicate. And God is not foolish like man and tries to throw a curve or a monkey wrench at us and say, hey, you thought you knew, but you didn't know. Hey, God wants us to know. And he's very clear with what he's trying to say. And when we read this, it says, I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, the mouth of the beast, the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. They're not frogs. They're like frogs. And he gives us the answer, for they, the things that are like frogs, are what? Spirits of demons. There's the answer. When you read your Bible, just read it. It's amazing the things you can learn when you read the Bible. When you read it, you read it and go, hey, what does that mean? Well, read it. Wow, that's what it says, huh? Well, that's hard to understand. Why? Well, because I just don't like what I understand. That's well, different than understanding it. You understand it, you just don't like what you understood. Two different things. Let me read this to you. J.A. Cease, in his book, The Apocalypse, lectures on the book of Revelation, gives us an explanation of these demons. It says these frogs are... Explained, as I just said, they're demons, they're spirits, they're unclean spirits, they are demon spirits, they are set forth into activity by the dragon trinity, which we'll discuss in a second. They are elect agents to awaken the world to attempt to abolish God from the earth. 
and they are frog-like in that they come forth out of the pestiferous quagmires of the universe, do their work amid the world's evening shadows, and creep and croak and fill the ears of the nations with their noisy demonstrations till they set all the kings and armies of the whole earth in enthusiastic commotion for the final crushing out of the Lamb and all of his powers. I like that. That's exactly what's taking place. These spirits of hell go forth upon the kings and potentates of the world to make up and gather together this grand army of what turns out to be nothing more than devil worshipers. Because you have a choice in life, and I do, and that is to either worship God and submit to him or worship the devil, and he comes disguised in a variety of packages and a variety of shapes and sizes, but you know what? There's either good or there's evil. There's either God or there's Satan. You're either in or you're out. You're a saint or you ain't. That's it. That's it. So if you think you're in a different category, those are the only two, so figure out which one you're in. So as we look at this, we begin to realize that out of the dragon... Now, who's the dragon? Satan. All throughout Scripture, Satan is as, uh, told or described as a dragon. So out of the mouth of Satan comes these evil spirits. Who is the beast? We've learned this. Anybody? Antichrist, the coming world leader, the political leader that will come and reign in the future. He's the Antichrist or the beast. And who is um, the false prophet that comes as we look at this? And that will be the new world religious leader who will work in conjunction with the Antichrist to come up with some world religion where everybody can agree that there's no more disagreements. We are the world, blah, blah, blah. And that's where we're all heading. Now, what's interesting about this is, and I couldn't help but see the parallels between the Trinity, the triunity of God, and this satanic triunity or trinity. Because notice this, God deserves to be worshipped. The Father deserves to be worshipped, and the devil has always wanted to be worshipped as God. That was his whole point of deception in the garden. You don't have to worship God, you can worship indirectly, you can worship yourself, but by doing so, you're worshipping me. The Antichrist comes on scene, he's a counterfeit, counterfeit Christ. He comes in place of Jesus Christ, and he says this to the world, Hey, trust in me, and I'll set you free. You trust in me and everything will be okay. You trust in me and you'll be able to make a living. You trust in me and you take the mark that I'll give you, which, by the way, there's a lot of confusion today, and let me just explain this to you. The mark of the beast is not this, your social security number, all right? It, it's, it's, it's not your uh, credit card number, as evil as that can be in some of our cases. It's not that. It's not your, you know, it's not anything you can think of because the mark of the beast will be the same for every person who receives it. It will not be different. Okay? So it's interesting how as time progresses, how when social security numbers came out, oh, that's the mark of the beast. You know, I mean, I, you know, it would have been nice if we never got into all that because it's the mark of how did he find you on tax day. But um, that's a whole different subject and uh, maybe we'll talk about that sometime. But uh, let's stick to the Word of God because I'm safe there. Um, but anyway, so the point of the matter is, and here is, you know, the, the Antichrist coming along saying, trust in me, and taking the place of Jesus Christ who says, you know what, there's no other way to the Father but through me, trust in me. And then we've got this last demon that comes from this religious leader, and the purpose of the religious leader is to do this, to say this, trust in him. Who does the religious leader point to? The Antichrist coming world leader, the dictator that will take place. He's, and he's saying, hey, you trust in him and tries to encourage the world to worship the Antichrist. 
What's the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our life today? To point us to Jesus Christ, to trust in Him, to believe in Him, to convict us of sin, that we're dirty before God and we need to be made right, to convict us of righteousness, that God is righteous and no one can enter His presence that isn't right before God, to convict us of sin and righteousness, and finally judgment that says, if you do not confess your sin and if you do not accept Jesus Christ, you will be judged for your rejection of Him. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit in the world today is to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and also what? To remind us of the teachings of Jesus Christ. The purpose of the Holy Spirit in our life is to turn us to Jesus Christ so that we worship Him as our Lord and Savior. The purpose of the false prophet will be to turn the world to the Antichrist to worship Him as their Savior. And they will be misled and deceived through the process. It's fascinating as we look at how the devil wants to uh, duplicate or counterfeit the things of God. And he does so, so deceptively. So we also notice what's the purpose of the demonic forces and it's simply stated uh, that we saw what? In verse 14. The purpose of these demonic forces or this demonic uh, spiritual uh, battle that will take place is to gather the kings of the whole world and gather them together for the war of the great day of God, the Almighty. The whole purpose of these demons in going out and deceiving the nations is to gather them all together and convince them that they somehow or another can defeat God and His righteousness and His holiness and His plan for man and that man can somehow or another become their own God and come up with their own program and that's the spirit of deception that's working in the world today. You may be sitting here today and think, you know what? You don't have to submit to God. You don't have to accept Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You can get to heaven your own way and that's the deception that says, you know what? You're a good person. Look at you. You're so much better than everybody else that you know. Look at all the good things you do. How can somebody tell you that you are a sinner, that you have fallen short of God, that you don't meet his standards? I mean, what kind of God would say that anyway? And the deception is there trying to get you to buy into the lie that somehow you're okay. And you know what? You're not. All have sinned. None are righteous. And the deception that is in your heart right now to keep you from submitting yourself and humbling yourself, asking for forgiveness and trusting in Jesus Christ is the deception that will destroy this world, mankind, in the future. And it's the deception that will destroy your soul for all of eternity if you reject Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. And you need to recognize it's exactly that. It's a deception from the pit of hell and it comes from demons themselves. And we need to understand that because the world is buying into the lie today because of all the lying wanders and all the nonsense that's going on and all the stuff that's out there and we need to recognize that God's word is truth and his truth will set us free. It's a little sidebar here but I want you to look at something because I think we forget often. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. It's related so it's not really uh, coming out of left field but I want you to look at it and understand this. And in Ephesians chapter 6 as I was reading through the Bible the other day God really impacted my heart when I was looking at this because so often in life we're in this spiritual battle and we forget it's a spiritual battle. In Ephesians chapter 6, look at verse 10 where we read these words. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Not in our own strength, not in our own authority, not by our own power, but to be strong in His strength and in His might. And to put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes and strategies of the devil. The strategies has to do with the whole concept of war strategies. Where they sit around and they strategize on who's going to go where and what and how many troops are here and where we're going to bomb next. And all the strategy of bringing about the defeat of an enemy. The devil has a strategy or schemes that he uses to try to defeat us and destroy us. And one of those strategies is to call into question the word of God. From the very beginning, Satan, as he approached Adam, said, Surely God didn't say that. 
And he brought into question the word of God. One of the strategies of the enemy has always been to bring into question the reliability and the truth of the word of God. The other strategy of the deception as we look at this is that he wants us to think that we're okay. I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay, and all roads lead to heaven. And that is false, and it is a lie from the pit of hell, and it's one of his strategies. How do we protect ourselves from that? Well, he tells us, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. He says, therefore, because of this, take up the full armor of God, that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm. Don't back down. Dig in. Honker down. Get entrenched. Dig into the batter's box and don't let the fast pitch uh, blow you back. He says, stand firm, having girded your loins with truth. Truth is what? Jesus Christ says, I'm the way. I am the truth. The word of God is truth. He says, to gird your loins with truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness. There's none righteous, no, not one, but our righteousness is found in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That is the only way that we can be prepared for the battle that we're in because it is a spiritual battle, men and women. It is not a physical one and we cannot win it in and of ourselves and in our own strength. The battle belongs to the Lord. We need to recognize that and we need to understand that. The third thing, going back to Revelation 16, is that we also have to notice, I'm sorry, uh, notice uh, the fourth thing, and that's this, the promise of Jesus Christ coming in verse 15. The promise of his coming. It says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his garments, lest he walks about naked and men see his shame. And I'm going to go into great detail next week when we look at the second coming of Jesus Christ. But for now, we look at this and we find that he is coming. And also look what it says in, in, the, in verse 16. The place where the nations will gather is a place in Hebrew that's called Har-Mageddon. The word basically means, uh, two words are used, it means the hill of Megiddo. Megiddo is a place of troops or a place of slaughter. It's also called the Valley of Jezreel. And the area is about 14 miles wide. For those that are interested in uh, details like this, the area is 14 miles wide, 20 miles long, and, what fo and forms what Napoleon once quoted as having said, he says that the, Napoleon quoted as the most natural battlefield of the whole earth. Standing on the Mount of Carmel and you overlook this plain, you can see and you can visualize what exactly it is that God is saying will take place as the nations of the world gather together. From a human standpoint, it appears that the armies of the nations are gathering on their own, but the Bible makes it very clear that the military movement is all according to the plan of God, and as we'll see in a moment, purposes of God. But as I'm looking at all this and I'm thinking, man, can you imagine? There's so many times in life, and I want to challenge you to think about something. There are so many times in life when we look at the circumstances of our life and we think that, man, things are just absolutely out of control. How many of you have struggled with that even this past week? You go, man, you know what? Things are out of control. And because they seem to be out of control or because I have no control over them, there's a certain amount of fear that enters into our life. And, and the fear is, how's it all going to turn out? What's going to happen? How's it going to turn out? We look at the world, what's going to happen? We look at our nation, what's going to happen? We look in our home sometimes with our marriage and with our children, and we, and we, we don't have the answers, and we're not sure how it's all going to turn out. And we ask the question, what's, what's going to happen? 
Maybe you're dealing with health issues or issues in school or issues that have to do with your uh, athletic involvement and all of these things. And, uh, and, and really what it all comes down to is this. There is no hope for mankind outside of Jesus Christ. But for those of us who have already trusted in him, acknowledged our sin before God, recognized our need for forgiveness, invited Christ into our life as our only hope before God, for those of us who know him, the question I have for you is this. Maybe it's time that we're reminded to take our eyes off of our circumstances and to put them back on the Lord. Because as we study these future events, the one thought that keeps coming back to me is this. God is absolutely, totally, 100%, positively in control. And there's nothing that's happening that is not escaping His sovereignty. And that includes even the events of our own very lives. As God is in control of all of human history, he certainly is in control of the events of my puny little life. You know, in the book of Matthew, Jesus says that uh, for those of us who are prone to worry, he says, uh, you know what? Why don't you look up? Look up at the birds of the air and see how your heavenly Father provides for them. And what he's saying is that when we look up and we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, you know what happens when I'm looking up and I'm looking at him, I'm not looking around and I'm not looking behind me. Some of us are held back because of the sins of our past and God says, hey, if you've confessed those sins, I'm faithful to forgive them, forget about it and move on. Some of us are looking all around us and we're confused by the circumstances of life and we're wondering how our work's going to turn out, how our marriage is going to turn out, how our kids are going to turn out, how you know, the market's going to turn out, what are we going to do, or is our house going to sell, is it not going to sell, oh, blah, 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 all this stuff. And you know, it's like, hey, you know what? Take your eyes off of all of that and focus your eyes on Him, the author and the perfecter of our faith because He has it all under control. Now, I'm going to be honest with you here, a little personal. As I'm studying this, I'm putting it all together. I'm convicted by this. I'm writing it all down going, oh, man, that's it. You know, the whole study of future things is to help us to understand that God's in control even today. Right? So I got this dump truck full of stuff backing up on me on Friday and just dumping a disproportionate amount of what I thought I was worthy of on that particular day. Okay? That was symbolic. Okay, some of you are wondering... Okay, so I get this phone call and, you know, we got one customer who owes us money and we're having a hard time collecting. We did all the work. Everybody's happy with us. I always like that. Hey, you guys did a great job. We're really happy with you, but we're having a problem with the owner and we can't get paid and we're really sorry, but, you know, hey, we love you. <laughs> oh, and it's nice to feel loved. Write me a check. Um, yeah, that's kind of like some of us in our relationships at home. Yeah, show me the money. All right, so show, show me the dress. Uh, show me the card. Show me the flowers. Show me the candy. Show me the gift. Um, I'm just throwing it out. Eh? Whoever it applies to, you go ahead, take it and run with it. Okay, so then, then the phone rings, and it's like we got this huge crane job of 600 bucks an hour, and the guy's two hours late, and all these people are sitting there. They're screaming, yelling that, you know, I've been here for three hours. The crane's not there. Blah, 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 blah. Then the inspector's coming, and he's got a problem with one of the guys on the job, and he wants to rip everything out. Yeah, just rip it all out and start all over again. <laughs> Four weeks' worth of work, $50,000 worth of material. Okay, you know, and it's like all this stuff's going on, and I'm going, man, what in the world's going on here? And I got people calling, they're having problems in their life, you know, and it's just all this stuff, and I'm like going, Lord, what's going on? And then I just start laughing. Why? Because that was God's way of teaching me to apply what it is that I tell you to apply in your life. 
And I did. I just started laughing. I just went, this is hilarious. Here I am. I'm going to tell everybody, hey, God's in control of everything. And I'm just kind of going crazy on a Friday going, well, what's going on in my life? Say, so, wow, is God in control or not? Yeah. Well, what's the point? Apply it. It's not always easy, is it? But it's still truth. Still truth. Number two, Armageddon fulfills the purposes of God. Fulfills the purposes of God. What are the purposes of God in Armageddon? Number one, remember this. The purpose of the Great Tribulation is what? To crush the enemies of God. To crush the enemies of God. Zechariah 12, 9. Write these down. Look them up on your own. Zechariah 12, 9. It's to crush the enemies of God. There's a day coming on the face of the, uh, face of the earth where God will step into human history and say, you know what, I've had enough of your nonsense. I've had enough of your foolishness. I've had enough of your rebellion. I've had enough of your evil doing. There was a time where he did on a global basis earlier in human history too, and that was what the flood was all about. He said as he looked upon the world that the heart of man was continually focused on evil and he had had enough of it, and he regretted the day that he even made man, the Bible says. And he set upon this world a global flood that destroyed everyone but those he called out. And he called out a family, eight people, Noah and his family, and he started it all over again. But you know what? There's a day coming where God's going to step back on the scene and say, you know what? Look at this. You cannot save yourself. You're in a mess. You didn't learn the first time around. You haven't learned anything, and I've had enough of it. And he's going to crush the world with his judgment. That's what we find in the book of Revelation. We also recognize there's a day who's coming, and his purpose of the, of the tribulation, don't forget, is twofold. Number one, to punish the world for their rebellion to God, and number two, to purge the nation of Israel because God's not done with the people of Israel. God made a promise to Abraham, and he's going to keep that promise despite all the nonsense that's told today about people, how the church fulfills the promises of Israel. No, it does not. The church is the church, and Israel's Israel, and it's very clear through the Bible because it's very literal. It's not symbolic, all right? God is not finished with the people of Israel because it's based on the character and the trustworthiness of the word of God. And when God says something, it'll come to fruition. And God is going to cut off those who continue to rebel him from the promises that he made toward those people. And there's going to be two-thirds of the nation of Israel who will be cut off because they rebel against Jesus Christ as their Messiah. But there will be one-third of the nation of Israel who will embrace Jesus Christ and look upon him whom they had pierced and weep and mourn for what they had gone through in rebellion and judgment of God. Ezekiel 2038, we read, I will purge you, the rebels. Those of you who continue to rebel against the Savior, I will purge you, and those who transgress against me. I shall bring them out of the land where they sojourn, but they will not enter the land of Israel. Thus you will know that I am the Lord. The same standard is held for the, the nation of Israel that's held for all of humanity, and that's this. There's only one way to be forgiven by God, and that is to embrace his Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He will cut off those who rebel against him. Number three is he will also chasten them at the same time. And we find numerous descriptions of that throughout the word of God, that God will continue to chasten Israel to bring about his purposes. That's the purpose of uh, the Great Tribulation, and it certainly is the purpose of the Battle of Armageddon. He will also cause a national repentance to take place. And it's the verse I just quoted in Zechariah 12.10 where the nation of Israel will look upon him whom they have pierced and they will weep and they will mourn and they will ask for repentance and the nation of Israel will come into repentance during this particular period of time. The fifth thing is he will conquer his enemies and we're going to go into great detail on that particular subject next time we get together. So as we wrap all of this up and we talk about the battle of Armageddon, the, final, the finalization of all of it is this. Armageddon finalizes the plan of God concerning his son, Jesus Christ. 
The Bible promises that Jesus Christ is coming again. And we will see that in great detail. Seriously, if, if, if you've got something else planned, cancel it. Because as I studied and looked at what we're going to talk about next week in the second coming of Jesus Christ, it is the most exciting passage of Scripture that I have read. And you know what? And I get excited about them all. But this is, I mean, it's the most exciting passage of Scripture because it fulfills all the promises of God where Jesus said there's a day that is coming. I come quickly. I come soon. Be prepared for that day. That is the great day that all of church history has looked forward to. The blessed hope is the second coming of Jesus Christ our Lord. The great day in the life of every believer is the day where we will be standing in his presence in awe of what he's done for us as trophies of his grace and not by our works. And it doesn't get any more exciting than the description that we see in the book of Revelation chapter 19 reading to get a head start so you're prepared for it. We'll see the punishment of his enemies in great detail in that particular chapter. We'll see the protection of God's people and referring specifically to the nation of Israel and those who are still alive the day that Jesus returns again. And we'll see his presence, the presence of his feet and his presence of his feet are on the Mount of Olives. In the book of Acts as the, as the disciples were standing around the day that Jesus ascended into heaven and they were, just, I gotta believe they were just like, ugh. I mean, how many of you had little children that when they used to see an airplane fly by, you know, it would be like, ah, oh. You know, and, that, and I think that led into how we feed them, too, where we go, okay, here comes the airplane, you know, get that little spoon, uh, because it's like, ah, oh, we just slip it right in there. But, th I mean, they had to be standing there and just going, ah. Oh. And the angel said this, men of Galilee, why do you stand there gawking like idiots? That's the New Living Translation, and, and, uh, and, and, and that's, that's symbolic. Um, uh, why do you stand gazing, actually it's gazing intently into the sky, this same Jesus who has just left will return in the same way. And he will return as he ascended into heaven, he will descend from heaven, he will take his stand and his feet will be planted on the Mount of Olives. It's an area in, in and around Jerusalem that's on a hill that's above everything and it's called, the, the, it's, and it's an ascent of victory. Every king that ever conquered that land would ascend to the highest point on a hill and they would take their place as king of, of the conquering land. Jesus Christ, as we'll learn next week, is going to descend from heaven with the armies of heaven. He will descend onto the Mount of Olives and he will take his rightful place as victor, as king, and not just a king of a conquered land, but of, of the king of kings and lord of all lords, throughout human history, and then he will usher in his uh, kingdom, and we'll talk about that afterwards, but you've got to be here next week just to learn about the descent of Jesus Christ onto the face of the earth. For those of you who do not know Jesus Christ, there is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. It's as simple as that. Don't buy into the lie that you're good on your own or you can get there any other way. There is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved, none other than Jesus Christ our Lord. The way that takes place is you acknowledge before God that you're a sinner, that you have sinned, that you do fall short, that you're not perfect, you think you're good, but you're not even as good as you think you are. And that Jesus Christ was sent by God in his great yet love, yet while we were sinners, Christ died for our sins. 
Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. God demonstrates his love. God shows us his love. Talk is cheap, but God demonstrates his words by his actions. Jesus Christ died for all who will believe in him. His death is sufficient for your sins. And you are to acknowledge that. You're to receive him, invite him into your life. And the Bible says that for those who do, you become a child of God who believe in his name. That's exciting, and it doesn't get any more exciting than that. For those of us who have come to a point in our life in the past where we believe in Jesus Christ, we are children of God. We have the Holy Spirit's presence in our life. Because as we read through the word of God, we say amen, that what God says is true. And we know it's true because the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God and that God's word is truth. For you, I have this to say, and this is the one thing I want you to leave with this week. If nothing else, it's this. Trust me, I've got it all under control. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your love. And we just thank you that uh, we know there's nothing good in any one of us, but you loved us anyway, that you demonstrated your love by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross in our place. That for those who believe that we will be children of God to those who believe in his name, that it's by grace we're saved through faith and not of ourselves. There's nothing we can do to earn our way into your presence, but simply humbling ourselves before you and believing that Jesus Christ died for our sins. There's a point where we have to ask him, acknowledge that, and ask him to come into our life. And I just pray that there are those who hear these words that have never done it, that they would get right with you today, that they would confess their sin, that they would invite Christ into their life, and that they would tell a friend or family member or someone else that can help them in their growth and take a public stand. The Bible says if we confess you before men, you confess us before your Father who is in heaven. But if we deny you before men, you also will deny us. There's a point in our life where our private confession of faith must become public. God, we just thank you for that. We thank you for the truth of that. And we also just thank you and praise you that for those of us who know you, that we can totally trust ourselves to you in every area of life. When life circumstances seem to be getting out of control, that we can fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, and know that you've got it all under control. And we just praise you in Christ's name. Amen.